Greetings. You have entered Lorraine Lou's cave. Deep in the ground, the universal unconscious lies waiting to expose its secrets. The cave has, from the inception of humankind, enticed, mesmerized. It has been protective shelter, spiritual temple, keeper of sacred images, rituals, and lastly, burial chamber. This second of three podcasts on the vision quest places Lorraine in the woods at the beginning of her four-day fast. As I've stated previously, at a point in my life after the divorce and my daughter's making her own way, I sold my home and left that world behind. I decided to go on a vision quest as preparation for the path I was to take. In such a ritual, a person separates herself from the everyday life, fasts and purifies herself, seeking a spiritual connection, and hopefully a vision that will guide her on her path. It's a powerful experience that attracts psychic forces to oneself. You let go of your tenacious grip on life and open yourself up to this force. Afterward, what you have learned will take time to unfold. Your perception of life and your role in it completely changes. She immediately sets out for the woods. There are many trails, and she walks quite a while looking for just the right spot to set up her tent. Lorraine takes her clothes off along the way. Back at the clearing, she lies naked for a couple of hours, sunning herself and reading another essay. Erica Jung speaks about getting published and what it meant to her. That talent isn't enough. You need perseverance, too how she knew good writers in college who never followed through and weren't writing anymore. Later, she has her last meal, cleans out the ice chest, and gets rid of the perishable foods. She packs the things she will need for her four days in the woods and sets out. It starts raining during the night, and by morning it is pouring. The tent leaks badly. Everything is soaked her sleeping bag, and all her clothes. Then all of a sudden, a loud, roaring noise sounds like a motorcycle. It's Mr. Shea coming up the road in an all-terrain vehicle. So much for four days of fasting, solitude, and peace. I got worried that you got lost in the woods. Reasonable assumption. There is some responsibility about her camping in his woods, and he doesn't know her. After he leaves, she puts up a clothesline and hangs up the sleeping bag, her extra pairs of socks, and her hat. But it's no good, because it continues to rain on and off all day. She's miserable, no place to stand or sit, 
Rain, rain everywhere. She's cold and there is nothing to be done about it. Everything is wet. So she sit inside the tent on the plastic air mattress with the rain coming down on her. And all she can think of is home. But there is no home left. And of food, 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 vegetables, eggs, thick sauces, fresh fruit with cream, cakes and pies. She gives up at 5 p.m., brings in her wet sleeping bag and turns in. She's beginning to get sick and has a bad headache. Cloudy, overcast, second day. She hangs the sleeping bag on the line with little hope of its drying. Then she cuts some pine bows and fixes herself a place to sit down. Later she takes a walk, but it is hard going. She's weak and tireling easy. What's more, her sneakers are getting soaked, so she sits around most of the day. The food cravings seem to be gone, but the headache continues. She notices when she closes her eyes that the imagery is vivid. She sees wild, crazy pictures, wilder than dream. She tries to see if they make up a story. They don't seem to. Do they reflect momentary feelings? She doesn't know. They're so outrageous, it's hard to figure them out. Mr. Shea drives up in the afternoon. It's going to be a cold night, about 30 degrees, he tells her. Oh, gosh, that's discouraging. Well, I'm going to have to do something about it. He tells her his daughter is coming up from Connecticut this evening, which he's looking forward to. After he leaves, she gets to work preparing for the cold night by cutting some pine bows to put underneath the air mattress, figuring it will put her that much higher off the ground. And maybe she can put some on top of her, too. Five o'clock, and she's exhausted. She checks the sleeping bag. A few wet spots, otherwise it's fairly dry. But the real luxury is that her woolen socks are dry. There is a towel and a pair of shorts in her pack. She wraps one around each foot, then she lies down. It takes several hours till she falls asleep. All of a sudden, she's awakened by the sound of the all-terrain vehicle. Hello, hello, comes the impatient voice outside. While she's in the process of opening the zippered screen, then the zippered flap, the voice, irritated now, says, Hey, hello? She gets things unzipped, and there's a young man with red hair sitting on the vehicle. You must be Mr. Shea's son, she greets him. No, I'm the grandson. He asks what she is doing way the hell up here. I don't know. You don't know? At this point, she closes the tent's flap. He can't start his all-terrain vehicle and mumble something about it. His penis has wilted. Good, I hope he gets stranded in the woods overnight. And now she is ill, violently ill. Her stomach is going crazy. She keeps wanting to throw up. Surely it can be food. She spends a long, miserable night.
fairly warm third day, but windy. After she awakens, she forces herself to go outside. The sound of that wind is oppressive. Weakness is causing her to totter. Laren walks to her spot in the sun and is warmed. The teeniest field mouse, no more than a biteful, comes to check her out. Then many birds park themselves in surrounding trees. Sparrows, mostly. They are starting to trust her presence. She hangs out the sleeping bag to finish drying and sees Mr. Shea driving up the path for a visit. I'm really impressed with what you're doing, he tells her. Marvel and affection are written all over his face. She nods. I feel the same way about you. You're a kind, gentle man with a trusting heart. I enjoy these visits. I do too. It isn't that they talk so much, but rather they seem attuned to each other. She feels at peace when she's with him. Before leaving, he gives her the weather report. It's going to be a cold night, but warm day tomorrow. Then he starts his machine and heads out. Her energy runs out at 3 p.m. She tries to stick it out till 4, but at 3.30 she decides to turn in. She puts on her two pairs of socks and sneakers. Tonight, everything is dry. The minute she lies down, the vision begins. She sees a man dressed in a phosphorescent robe. On his chest is a scroll with calligraphic writing on it. It's a map. From each side of the man's throat grows a young tree. Both reach up to form the antlers of a deer. This man is a sorcerer who gives off a cool, glowing light in the dark. His identity worn on his chest are the words, beautifully written. It serves as a map to guide others. Indians have visions of animals. She has one of a sorcerer. She understands the vision is guiding her to the world she knows but dares not acknowledge or speak of. It's the underworld, the world of chaos without boundaries that she glimpsed on the logging road. The vision continues and she sees jaws, the open jaws and teeth of what appears to be a fish or alligator, a batman with his mask, several batmen snapping their long fangs. Then it is eyes, a face with an eyeball, wet and slimy. A hand reaches in to pull it out. It turns into a little fish. And next, a face that looks like a mask. The right eye is missing. This part of the vision is the other side of the coin. The life without identity, wearing a mask, rapaciously hungry, without sight or wisdom. She awakes at 9 a.m. on the fourth day. A coyote came close to her tent during the night and sang her a lullaby. It isn't her puny energy it crooned to, but that great feminine power in the sky. Tomorrow morning she'll be making her way down to the clearing and the gardens. 
She's concerned about her ability to make that trip with full pack, the tent, and her sleeping bag. The day is warm, full sun. She sits quietly for a while and writes in her journal. Afterwards, she takes her clothes off and sunbathes, but she can only stay for a while. She's exhausted. At noontime, she crawls into her tent. Her mood is peaceful. The forest has an order that induces this. She finds that she doesn't think very much. It's more intuitive. In the city, her mind spins and spins until at times she wishes she could remove her head for a rest. On this morning, when pissing on the ground, she notices a rock with a small natural puckering hole in it that looks like an inverted belly button. Turns out it's an old Indian scraper used to clean hides and such. Fits perfectly in the hand. Whoever made it shaped it in such a way that it looks like fish with the belly button pucker as its eye. When she leaves here, she will be driving through Indian country, the Micmacs. She had wanted to buy herself something. The scraper is much better, made when Indians roamed America, children of the earth that nourished them, and this simple tool part of it. She thinks about that first day in the garden with Mr. Shea. She could see that although her work is there, she doesn't want to go back to the city for a long time. It saps her energy just to maintain balance in all that craziness. Her daily visitor comes over at 3.30. She crawls out of her tent and stands for a while, but finds she can't sustain it and goes to sit by his side on the red machine he disdains so. It's my son, he always points out. They have a long visit and talk about simple things, about nature and animals, the habits of certain birds. It's ending and both feel sad. She confides in him about her fast and vision quest. I suspected you were doing that. I could see there were no cooking utensils here. I wanted to bring you a sandwich several times. I'm truly amazed you've done this and stuck it out. She doesn't know why she's not afraid in the woods, only that it's a fact. She tells him about the coyote that came to her tent in the night. I hear them in the evening from my house. They travel in packs, that's how they hunt. He doesn't warn her or try to coax her out of the woods because he knows she is free and treats her with respect. Will I see you tomorrow, she asks, pointing out she'll, she's leaving around noontime. I won't be able to come in the morning. My daughter's visiting and will be going to church. But why don't you stop at the house when you leave? She can tell it's important to him. He wants his wife to meet her. But she doesn't want to do that. What with the grandson's visit, she figures she's being thought of as a curiosity at his house. Thanks for listening. You're welcome to visit my website, loverandlou.com, where you can leave feedback in the journal blog.
Among the site's many offerings is a divination page with a weekly I Ching oracle and lots of other contributions. <laughs> 